Well, if you weren't here last week, I'm doing a brief series during the month of January uh, on helping us as a church think through some of the changes that are uh, coming up this year, particularly with Stephen preparing to retire in just a a little over a a month now. And last week, I tried to ground us in the immovable nature of Christ such that as things change in the world, as they change in our church and in our lives, we know that Christ will never fail because he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we saw that from Hebrews 13, 7 to 8. Next week, Colin Cooper will be preaching and helping us as a church body, as a a, a congregation, to think about certain issues as it relates to uh, pastoral transitions. Um, We'll also have our fellowship meal, so remember that for next time. But what about today? Well, today, and then the last two Sundays of this month, I want us to think about why we exist as a church. Why are we even here? Who are we? What is our purpose? We may be rooted in the unchanging ground of the internal Christ, but then what are we supposed to do? That's an important question. If someone were to ask you, well, what is your church about? What would you say? Not what does your church believe, or how is a Baptist church different than a Catholic church, which is a question I get all the time. But what is our church about? What is the the essence of our church? When visitors come in here, what is the ecclesiastical air that they breathe? What I want to do is try and provide a, a brief summary statement as to the purpose of our church, what our church is about, and then boil it down to kind of the two Uh, fundamental biblical foundations, and then reduce it down from there to a four-letter word essence. So that's my my goal here at the, the beginning. So here's my attempt at defining why we exist, okay? Dundalk Baptist Church exists to glorify God and proclaim the supremacy of Christ in all things through worship, acts of brotherly love, and global missions. All right, let me read that one more time. Dundalk Baptist Church exists to glorify God and proclaim the supremacy of Christ in all things through worship, acts of brotherly love, and global missions. That is what we're about. When someone comes through those doors in the back there, however odd it may seem uh, in our current world, they should leave this church thinking, Man, those, those people are kind of weird. They actually sing songs to God. It wasn't just the people up front singing. It was everyone. They all sang. They prayed. They talked about how Christ is, is king over the universe and how he rules over every square inch of planet Earth. They cared for one another. They were looking out for one another, and they wanted others to know Jesus as well. Isn't this how it should be? If the local church is an embassy of the kingdom of God in that town, should we not, to the best of our ability, reflect the very heart of the kingdom and its Lord? Okay, I said I'm going to boil this definition down to its two basic underlying 
kind of biblical truths. Now, there are many biblical truths in that statement, but what I want to do is build it off of two primary texts, which is Matthew 22, verses 37 and 39. Uh, But to give you some context, let me read to you Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. Here's what we read there. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, that is Jesus, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. There they are, the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. The person sitting in the chair in front of you. The person living next door to you. The person working hard under the oppressive oppressive regimes of Iran or North Korea or China. Or as we heard about just now, Tunisia. These two great commands undergird the statement about what the church is about. Okay, but now let me reduce it down even further to four words. And our our pastor, when I used to live in Texas, he used to use these four words a lot, but they are a very helpful summary of everything that we've talked about so far. And those four words are, love God, love people. Love God, love people. That's what we want people to feel as they leave this place. Not, oh, you can tell the pastor loves God and loves people. Not, well, the music team did a good job singing. But rather, the whole church, every last one of them, radiates with the love of God and love for people. And realize it has to be in that order as well. We will only love people better if we love God most. We will only love people better if we love God first. Our love for others is the overflow of the delight and enjoyment and love of God. Several years ago, one of Ashley's friends came to church. And when it was all over, she couldn't remember what the sermon was about. But she said, you know, I could tell that the pastor believed what he was saying, and Stephen was preaching at the time, and that everyone was actually very interested in learning. That's how it should be. That's how it should be. If you don't have a pastor who actually believes what he's saying, well, then you have a politician. But she recognized as well the people in the church actually wanted to be there because they wanted to know more about God. They wanted to know more about the Bible, which was unheard of in her Roman Catholic experience. Okay, believe it or not, all that, all, all that was introduction. What I want to do over the next three weeks that I preach is take the elements of that statement I gave to you earlier as to why we exist and flesh it out a little bit more. Let me read that statement one more time. Dundalk Baptist Church exists to glorify God and proclaim the supremacy of Christ in all things through worship, acts of brotherly love, and global missions. 
This morning, I want to begin with the fact that we exist to glorify God and proclaim the supremacy of Christ in all things through worship. And what we're doing right now is part of that worship. We'll talk about the elements of our worship service in just a minute, but I want you to realize that at the core of worship, the very heart of worship is not just being here. Worship did not take place because you were able to check off certain requirements that you think need to be a part of a worship service. Well, I prayed, I'll check that off. I I sang a song, check that off. I listened to the preacher rattle on, check that off. Okay, I'm done, I worshiped. No, that's not it. That is not worship. You can come here week after week, month after month, year after year, go through all the motions, go home feeling good about yourself because you went to church and never actually worship. Because at the core of your worship is not participating in the various parts of the church service, but it is the delight and satisfaction you have in God. Worship is ultimately about our hearts. For many, form has taken the place of true worship. That is, if you came in next week... And I said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do the sermon first, then uh, we will pray, and then we'll sing five songs right in a row. For some, that's not worship. We've always done it this way. This is how it has to be, or it's not worship. The sermon has to be at this point, the singers have to stand on this side, the chairs have to be this color, the carpet has to be this color, the Bible has to be placed here, God will be worshipped on my terms. It's all form, no heart. Let me give you a few verses so you can see where I'm, I'm getting this. Isaiah 29, the Lord has turned his wrathful eye toward Jerusalem because they've repeatedly broken the covenant. And in verse 13, this is what we read, Isaiah 29, 13. And the Lord said, because this people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. All right, that's worship, right? That's worship. They're saying the right things. They're they're coming close to God, right? Their lips are speaking words of honor to God. Perhaps they just got done singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. God in three persons, blessed trinity. Honor. They're worshiping, right? The Lord goes on. Because his people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. That's not true worship. It's not true worship. Their honoring of the Lord with their lips means nothing Because their hearts are far from him. Their lips are speaking the words, praise God from whom all blessings flow, while their hearts are thinking there's a football game on soon. I hope this gets over quickly. I wonder what's at home to eat. Even the fear of the Lord is merely external. They have been commanded to fear God, but that's all it is, a mere command. There's no internalizing of it. It hasn't taken root in their hearts. It's all form, no heart, no worship. 
In John 4, we read the story of Jesus meeting the woman at the well and recognizing that Jesus is, is more than just a regular man. She immediately asks him a question. She says, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So she recognizes that this isn't just a normal person, and she immediately asks about proper worship of God. Where do we worship him? Is it in this mountain? Is it in Jerusalem? Is that somebody's home? Is it in this building in RD Terrace? Is it outside? Where do I have to go? Jesus answers in verses 23 to 24. He says, The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Where is not as important as the heart? You're worried about form, but I'm telling you, God is not bound by any location or set of walls. Right? True worship is done by those who worship in spirit and in truth. And I take spirit here to be the Holy Spirit. The true worship is driven by, it's, it's animated by the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us. And worshiping in truth means worshiping with an appropriate biblical view of who God is. This means we don't worship God as our boyfriend to whom we sing love songs. We don't think of him as our butler so that when we pray, we are demanding things from him, and if he gets it right, we give him a few coins of glory as a tip. No, we rightly understand that our God is the omniscient, omnipotent, eternal, thrice holy, immutable, merciful and loving, yet always just, glorious God who created all things. And thus there's this relationship between the head and the heart, such that to know God truly, to, to see him clearly, is to delight in him, to cherish him, to be satisfied in him. John Piper writes, quote, Truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy and a church full or half full of artificial admirers like people who write generic anniversary cards for a living. On the other hand, emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates shallow people who refuse the discipline of rigorous thought. But true worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine. Strong affections for God rooted in truth are the bone and marrow of biblical worship. Now, we are a good Reformed church, and so I can hear some of the responses already forming in many minds. Well, that might be true, but we have to be careful not to fall into emotionalism, right? We don't want to get carried away and go overboard. But with the current state of our church, that warning is like telling someone who's going to visit Westmead for the day that they better be careful because if you drive another three hours, you're going to go right through Galway and land in the ocean. Westmead is nowhere near the coast, and the person isn't heading to Galway. 
What I'm saying is, if you know God truly, if you have seen Christ clearly with the eyes of faith, it's impossible to worship from a stoic heart. It is emotional to sing. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. A good friend of mine suffers from severe chronic pain and a birth defect that prevents him from walking um, or standing or sitting for a long period of time. When he was younger, uh, he, he took lots of drugs. He dealt drugs. But now... He has been saved. He was saved by God's amazing grace. And so whenever he sings the song in Christ alone, he can't help but break out into applause. We sing, There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. And then the next line is, Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. He can't help but to just start clapping at that moment. Every single time. Every single time. He visited our church, oh, it must have been six years ago. We sang this song. He clapped. Not because he wants to draw attention to himself, but because he's so overcome with joy that the Christ who saved him by bearing his sins on the cross is still not dead. He's been risen. He knows who he was. And when he sings, he's been risen up from the grave, he arose. He can't help it. Now, I'm not saying you must clap or raise your hands. What I'm saying is don't think singing theologically rich and sound songs in a a, uh, non-emotional, sterile way is somehow more appropriate than letting those words flow over you and feed your head and your heart and your soul so that your singing is a response to those truths. It's a response to the truths of those words and of the God they proclaim. Now, some of you may be asking yourselves, then can we still worship and honor God if our hearts don't feel that love? Can we still sing, Jesus, I am resting in the joy of what thou art, if, if our hearts don't feel like they are resting in that joy? And the answer is yes. I think it is possible. I think it is possible, but once again, it comes down to the heart. Is there a lamenting of the absence of the appropriate affection and a desire not to be content where your heart is? Does the heart cry out, I want to sing out of that delight? Does it cry out with the psalmist in Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of your salvation? Is there the prayer, Lord, remove the obstacles in my way so that I can worship you fully? If that's the case, then worship. Then worship. The same psalmist who said, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God, is the same psalmist who just a few verses later cries out, why are you downcast, O my soul? 
Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. He goes from declaring how much his soul thirsts to have God, to be refreshed by the living water, to having to remind himself to hope in God because his soul has been, has been brought down to the depths of despair. But does he just quit worshiping then? No. He goes on to say, hope in God. I will again praise him, my salvation and my God. If your heart is not there this morning, pray. Fight for that joy. Don't let your worship be in vain. Now, I did say that we're going to talk about the elements of our worship service, so let me get to that before I run out of time here. What are the elements that make up our worship service here at Dundalk Baptist Church? Well, as I count them, there are six. Singing, scripture reading, prayer, sermon, tithing, and the ordinances. Now, each of those could be a sermon in itself, uh, but what I want to do for the remainder of the time is just make a few comments on each of those elements and how they are important to this worship service and relate them in a way to our purpose of giving glory to God and declaring the supremacy of Christ in all things. So first, we'll start with singing. Paul writes in Ephesians 5, 18 to 20, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's so much in that verse, but let me just highlight a few things. All of this singing is to be done with your heart, Paul says. We're back to the heart. Worship is a heart issue. At the core of our worship is our heart. And this singing is done having been filled with the Holy Spirit. It's sung to the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father in the name of Jesus. It is Trinitarian worship. We sing to God, giving him the glory in the name of Christ. But note as well, Paul says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns. Singing is done both to God and to each other. That's why I encourage you to sing. To sing with your heart. doesn't matter if you can't carry a tune. Sing. Sing. You don't know who in here may be going through a particular trial and how just letting the chorus of God's people wash over them in song, praising and extolling Jesus can help mend a broken heart, can help a troubled soul. We sing to God, but we sing for one another. How great would it be if our, our neighbors over here that just had their houses built how great would it be if they learned the words to In Christ Alone because this building echoed with those words when we sang it and they could hear them? I keep using that as an example of a song because we're singing it in just a minute here. Second is scripture reading. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.13, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. Very straightforward. Tim Chalice has written this. He says, quote, The Bible is the very word of the living God, breathed out by God and given to us to train us in all that is necessary for life and godliness. 
As God's people, we are deeply reliant on Scripture, trusting that the Bible is the only infallible and inerrant means through which God speaks to us. For this reason, Scripture must be central to our worship services. We ought to read it, sing it, and preach it every Sunday. Reading Scripture is not something we do out of duty or obligation, but something we do in delight, trusting that is the means by which the Lord blesses, pursues, convicts, and draws. Now, listen to this last sentence here, particularly those of you who are in the leading rotation and who do the call to worship. Here's how Tim Chalice ends this little paragraph. He says, To stand at the front of the church and read the Bible is to stand in the place of God and to proclaim his word. There's a reason why we open with a reading from Scripture. That's because we want to hear from God. We want to know what he has said. And in our singing, our prayers are in response to hearing what God has said. So when Kevin read earlier that Christ said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, don't let that be the point where you think, Okay, I better be quiet and sit down because church is going to start. Rather, let those words flow over you. Cling to those words so that after you hear them, you can stand up and sing, Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. Third is prayer. In Acts 2.42, we read that the early church, quote, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Prayer is vital to the life of the church. Prayer is the lifeline that we have to the very source of our being. Prayer also glorifies God because in our weakness, we're coming to him. We're acknowledging him as our only hope, that he is the only one who can help. We get the blessing, he gets the glory. And it's all done in the powerful name of Jesus. The 19th century pastor E.M. Bounds once said, Talking to men for God is a great thing. That's preaching. Talking to men for God is a great thing. But talking to God for men is greater still. That's prayer. Fourth, sermon. Perhaps this seems the most apparent. Uh, You go to church expecting to hear a sermon, right? Uh, But what did you come to hear? Something that tickles the ears and puts us at the center puts us at the the very core of that sermon, or a sermon that puts Christ at the center, exalts him, puts our attention away from ourselves and onto him. Paul again tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. That's intense. This is a serious Thing, and woe to the one who dares to come up here and preach cavalierly. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. 
This is why we take preaching so seriously. We have come to hear from God about what he has done in Christ. You've not come to hear about how my week has gone. Fifth, the ordinances. The ordinances of the church are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Both are reminders of what Christ has done for his bride. Both are visible portrayals of the gospel. Both remind us of the efficacy of Christ's sacrifice. Both point us to the fact that the new covenant has been established and that we have a new covenant head. Both are a reminder that the kingdom of God has been inaugurated. And both are a reminder that the work is not yet done. And so we continue to do both until Christ returns. And last is tithing. Perhaps we don't think of this as part of worship. But it is. It is an act of worship. How so? Because how we use our money demonstrates where our heart is. It comes back to the heart in all of this. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19-21, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It all comes back to the heart. That's worship. Now let's be honest. If someone were to look at the finances of this church, would they say that Dundalk Baptist Church has its treasures in the kingdom of God, that our heart is actually about glorifying God and proclaiming the supremacy of Christ in all things in this town and abroad? Or year by year do we scrape by? Now, please don't hear this as, oh, well, the pastor's telling us we have to give. That's not what I'm doing. What I'm saying is, if you are a Christian, you have been saved by grace You've been plucked from the embers of hell and brought into the kingdom of God's Son. You were dead, but now have been made alive in Christ and are seated with Him in the heavenly places. The power of sin has been removed from your life. The penalty of sin has been borne by Jesus. You have been declared not guilty in the courtroom of God's justice. All obstacles have been removed from your path so that you might delight in God Himself, that you might taste and see that the Lord is good. Your heart of stone has been removed and you've been given a heart of flesh so that you are free from the love of the things of this world because they taste like ash in your mouth now. And we cry out with the psalmist, whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is nothing I desire besides you. And now he has allowed me to participate in the advancement of his kingdom across the globe and I get to give. This is not a have to. This is a desire to. It's only a love to. It's I want to. It's not a have to. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as, as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under, <coughs> excuse me, under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We give from our heart. This is a heart issue. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. We were made to worship. We were made to glorify God. 
The Lord says in Isaiah 43, 6-7, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory. Dundalk Baptist Church exists to glorify God and proclaim the supremacy of Christ in all things through worship. Let me leave you with this quote from John Piper. He says, Nothing makes God more supreme and more central than when a people are utterly persuaded that nothing, not money or prestige or leisure or family or job or health or sports or toys or friends, nothing is going to bring satisfaction to their aching hearts besides God. This conviction breeds a people who go hard after God on a Sunday morning. Let's be that type of people. Let's be that type of church. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, what can we say but help us to be that type of people? Help us to be that type of church. Lord, we ask that you would let us see Christ in such a way that our hearts are just enthralled with that vision of him so that when we come here on a Sunday, we worship not out of feeling it is an obligation, but because we want to, because we have seen, we know what Christ has done for us, that we have indeed tasted that the Lord is good, and so we proclaim with loud voices How great thou art. Help us to fight to have that joy when we don't have it. When the week has been hard, when the trials of the world have brought us low, help us to come here and to say, Lord, give me that joy once again. Help me to sing from a heart that loves you more than anything. Help us to be a church that when people come to visit, they can sense that the very atmosphere of the church is buzzing with the glory of God and the supremacy of Christ. Help us to be like that, Lord. We want to honor you in all of these things. We want to honor you in our worship services. Help us to do so with a heart that loves you with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength and help us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Help us to love you, love God, and love people. In Jesus' name, amen.